November 17th, 2021. I entitled the class Giving Names. It's what I want to focus on, specifically the Pesukim and Parashat Bereshit and Perek Bet, where Adam, after God has named many other existences, Adam is brought the animals in front of him and he gives names to them. It's somewhat, if not fully, a cryptic passage. I'd like to give it a, a little bit of meaning a little bit of significance. The general theme, the general message of the class is less novel than the application, giving meaning to what's actually taking place over there. Well, that's the introduction. Midrash, in source number one, in Bereshit Rabbah, in Perek Yodzayin, in Ot Dalid, has the following statement. Amar bi'aha, v'sha'a sheba'a ha-kadosh baruchu livrot et ha-adam, nimlach b'malachei ha-sharet. No surprises over there. When God was ready, had determined in his infinite wisdom that he wanted to create, or it was appropriate to create human beings, he turned to the angels. Of course, it's what the Chachamim envision in the words, Na'ase Adam, right? Besalmenu Kidmutenu, he turns to the angels. This is reminiscent as well of the conversation, maybe unprovoked over there, uh, in which the angels turned to God. I have it as the last source. Uh, prior to the giving of the Torah to Am Yisrael. So prior to the creation of something, prior to the uh, bringing into existence, uh, God has conversations, or the angels have a way of butting their head in. Amar lahen says God to the angels, Na'ase Adam, let's create Adam. There's the words. Amrulo, Adam ze mativo, say the angels, kivyachol to God, uh, tell us about this Adam. Amar lahen chokmato meruba mishelachem. You should know, Adam, human beings, are going to have greater or have greater knowledge than you. In order to prove it to them, he brings animals in front of them, domesticated animals, wild animals, birds. Points to the first and says, what's the name of this? And the angels didn't know how to name it. He instead brought each of these items in front of Adam. What's the name of this? Amar zeshor, zehamor, zesus. This is a bull, this is a donkey, this is a horse. Zegamal, this is a camel. Ve'atamashimcha, God in turn, as he's showing the angels, look at the wisdom of Adam, he knows how to give names. What's your name? Amar lo, ani na'elehikare Adam, says Adam to God. It's appropriate for me to be known as Adam. Shenivreti min ha'adama, because after all I was created from ground. Of course, there's a double, double entendre, there's double meaning in the name Adam. It's also, as I mentioned on Shabbat in a separate context, Milashon Adame. I will be similar to. It's the way that humanity has in being similar to God, which, again, in this context is very much appropriate because here's Adam who's giving names, and we, in reading the Midrash, are well aware that God gave names during creation as well. He's playing the role of God. Anyway, he says his name. Adam, I'm made from the ground. Va'ani mashemi, says God, kivyachol to Adam. What do, you, what do you think I should be named? Amar lo, says Adam to, to God. Lecha na'elehi karot amonai. He says, you should be known as amonai. She'ata adon lechol briyotecha. You are the master over all of your creations. That's the Midrash. Again, the Midrash, in my opinion, is Satum. It's a, it's a mysterious Midrash. It's as cryptic, if not more cryptic, than the passage in the Torah, which describes Adam giving names to the animals. Go ahead. It should be Adonenu, but you are my... Adon... 
lechol briotecha, so why you know, or, or, or just be known as Adon. Adon, right, Right. It's a good grammatical point, and yet it seems as if it's just to him. Good point, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm a little bit broader in this context than you, in that specific, but I, I hear you. Um, I, what I, what I, more broadly speaking, just what's the, what is the chokmat adam, let's say, in giving names? What does it mean to give a name? What's the, what's the midrash seeking to uh, transmit to us uh, through this story of human beings having a higher and greater wisdom than angels through their ability to give names and in truth, it really just brings us back to the Pesukim in the Torah, in source number two, of when God brings the animals to Adam and says to him, and he does so, give them names. What's the significance of that episode? Again, the initial reaction has to be, but there has to be a greater depth to this, is the invitation to Adam to complete creation. I gave names, I now left some open to you, I want you to give names as well. That's certainly uh, there. That's the simtsum vision of God, not completing shamati le'olamidai, and now I want you to complete. But the specific way that the Torah, that the Midrash gets across the importance, the significance of names is what most uh, intrigues me. So, but just let's read these pesukim. It's in Bereshit, Perek Bet, Pasuk Yotet, Ru Pasuk Chafalef. Vayiser Adonai Elohim min ha'adama kol hayat ha'sadeh, by the way, I mean, that's it's significant it's for another time as well. He names himself Adam, according to the Midrash, which of course is absent from the text as well. He doesn't give himself a name in the text. Right? The Torah just has him being Adam. What does it mean to be an Adam? I love the translation. I remember a student sitting in a class when I gave the English translation of Robert Alter. He says, Adam, we generally translate as Adam. But how would you translate that into English? Well, it's probably, uh, it, it, it's taken from Adama. How are you translating Adama? Adam, I'll translate as human, right? Because it's, not, it's less Adam. It's Adam when you turn it into the male as opposed to the female when you, turn her, when you mention her as Chava. Adam is from Adama, which means Adama is, Adam is human. Adama is humus, probably, right? It's Humus, it's H-U-M-U-S. That's what we are made from. We're made from humus, or whatever. Anyway, uh, th th that's the way he tries. I always like that. Um, but in, in this context specifically, I I'm just pointing out that the animals are also made from the earth. And yet, the appropriate name for them is not Adama. Not our conversation right now, but something to take note of. It's as if Adam has more of an association, and that's what the text, that's what the Midrash wants you to notice, to the ground, ironically, than the animals themselves, which we would certainly associate more with the ground. Anyway, but call up. I don't want to do that right now. I mean, I have I have a direction on it, but I, I'm leaving it as a question. He brings them to Adam, and anything that Adam gives a name to, that indeed is its name. Leaves Adam with almost this lonely state of being, of not finding an Ezer. Of course, it's significant. I'll mention it now, perhaps return to it later. Says Rashi, how is he getting to know? Rashi has it afterwards when it says, excuse me, Hapa'am. It says, when, when he realizes that this is the right mate for him, when there's Isha who comes forth from him. 
Uh, says Rashi, Milamed, we learn from this, the fact that he's able to say, this is the right one, as opposed to the other ones, Sheba al-Kol Hayot He had an intimate relationship with each of them, which we need not, and in my opinion, should not take too literally, other than understanding this as an initial stage in Adam's Yedi'ah, Adam connecting to uh, all of nature and understanding it. So that's already a step forward in terms of understanding these names. It certainly describes a depth of understanding. If I'm able to give a name to something, and I appreciate the name as something more than just an arbitrary uh, description or decision, rather, well, then there's a certain understanding. But again, I just I want to understand the depth of giving names, this godlike quality, if you will, of giving names. It's the characteristic of God through creation. God does several things through creation consistently, and one of them is giving names. The last act of giving names, he hands over to Adam, which, as I will mention once again, is a godlike activity. But what is it? Well, let's pay attention to God's names, and that'll really crack the code, at least in my mind. I'll begin you at the very onset of the Torah, because it'll be significant for our development. Bereshit bara Elohim. Et ha-shamayim the beginning, beginning of time, we usually translate it as God has the creation of shamayim va'aretz. In our general description, based on Ramban and others, this is the creation of matter. Shamayim and aretz is a creation. A creation on what day? Prior to days of creation, right? That's the tohu vavohu, which is coming into existence. What does it look like? Hard to envision. What is it? It is infinite potential there through the elements, through uh, what will bring forth uh, a structured creation that follows thereafter. But that's the initial creation is shamayim va'aretz, envision it as, Jack likes to say, energy. He brings forth the potential, Ramban calls it homer, and so he brings forth matter. Okay, well, that being the case, Again, the question is, where did the tohu come from? The answer is, And envisioning darkness as well means it's formless. Something that's in the dark might be existent, but you can't make out its form. That's how Ramban suggests tohu and vohu as well. Tohu is, litahot means to question. It has a question mark. I'm uncertain what it is, but I see it there. I just don't know what it is. Bohu, bohu. In it, there is the potential. So that's the initial creation. The initial creation is the creation of energy, of potential, of formless matter. That's what's there and then will be broken down. The darkness only adds to that. What else adds to it? The other way that we take away the form from matters, and that is water, of course. If it's underwater, if it's enveloped by water, it's formless. That's the description through and through, which, by the way, Ramban suggests might be tohu as well. Milashon tehom tehomot. Anyway, veruach Elohim al So that's the initial existence, which, of course, God brings forth, but we don't count this as a day of creation. The Gemara in Masechet Rosh Hashanah has it as a statement of God, even though those words don't meet the eye. Those words don't meet the eye in the text. God isn't saying anything. The Hakamim count Bereshit as a Ma'amar. God stated, so to speak, if creation comes forth through His speech, quote unquote, it means He stated there should be Tohu Vavohu, if you want to use those words. There should be existence. Okay, well that precedes the days of creation because what is 
the days of creation. What are the days of creation? That's right. The days of creation, we've been together long enough. The days of creation are a subsequent, event, uh, subsequent activities, one after another, of separation. Which means to say what precedes them is an absolute unity, a tohu vavohu existence, and then what you're going to then follow it up with, and I'm going to describe each of those as a day, is a purposeful craftsmanship, yesira asiya, of separating. And we'll see that now, but we'll see it with an additional eye, with our eye on an additional feature, and that is the naming. So we'll notice, A, the separating, and we'll have to keep our eye as well on the naming. Here it is. Vayomer Elohim or vayhi or. God doesn't give a name to the or. It just is. Okay, so or is or. He never gives a name to Or. He will give a name to Or to replace that name in just a moment. He'll call it Yom. But at this juncture, it's just Or. There's no naming it. Okay, what does Pasuk say afterwards? Vayar Elohim et Or kitob. It's complete. Vayavdeel Elohim ben Or ben Ahoshech. It's important to mention in this context Rashi, the Kabbalistic notion, the rabbinic notion over here. What happened? The initial utterance of Yehi Or brings forth what's known as Or Haganuz. The statement afterwards of Vayavdel separates Orhaganuz. What's Orhaganuz? Well, again, it's this light which is tucked away in the eyes of the Kabbalists in the Torah now. Um, what does it mean it's tucked away? And what was it? Of course, I can't really explain that. What I can tell you is the description is it's a mixture of darkness and light. That doesn't fit our creation story. The initial creation of darkness and light, that's, that's, that's together. That's not separated. So the initial utterance of Yehi Or needs to be followed with a Havdalah, because after all, if humanity, if existence is going to be around, it'll need to exist within some sort of separate domain. We have the initial mention of Yehi Or. What is there not on Yehi Or? There's no naming. Which means to say, the creation, there was no naming of Tohu Vavohu either. It just was. The naming already, if we have that in mind, might be connected to the act of separation. Do you understand? Again, we have had no naming yet. We've had no days yet. There's no limit to the or, there's no limit to the tohu vavohu. Naming limits it. Naming gives it its feature. Naming defines it. We say it all the time. That's my name. Tov shemi shemen tov. Yom hamavit miyom What do we talk about when we mention a name? My unique legacy. Who I am. I've confined myself to a description. That's my name. When we wear our name on our sleeves, when we define who we are through our name, we are defining ourselves with, that's the word. By defining, we're separating, we're contrasting, we're distinguishing, we are separating. That's going to be the Shemo throughout creation. Look at it. Immediately after that Havdalah, or with the Havdalah, or the Havdalah is, Do you follow the direction over here? The direction is the naming, put in a sentence, is the creation. What do I mean it is the creation, is the separation. So initial creation, the biriah, if you will, is everything together, absolute potential. The separation, the Havdalah, is naming. And again, it's very palatable. It's very much, if you think about that, what names are. My name distinguishes me from you. Even if we don't know anything about one another, we just know we have different names. And having a different name means we're different. When we strip a person of their name and turn them into a number, we've taken away their unique attribute, their characteristic, specifically if they don't even have a number. But already minimizing them to a number means 
they don't have a significant, unique, separate entity status. And that's what's taking place over here. The naming will be the separation. Vayomer Elohim on day two, Yehira kia betoch ha-mayim, vihi mavdil ben mayim lemayim. Lamayim. So God says there should be this rakia, which will separate between lower and upper waters. We'll soon see. Vayas Elohim et ha-rakia, vayavdil ben ha-mayim ha-shem etachad la-rakia, ben ha-mayim ha-shem e'al la-rakia, vayichin. Now it won't just end with the creation of separation, wrong word, with separation, it will need as well a naming, because a naming is what what is designates for us the separation. Third day, we're going to separate, although the text doesn't call it a havdalah. Effectively, it is a separation. It's not a separation between homogenous, uh, a homogenous mixture of sorts. It's not between water and upper and lower waters. It's not between, I don't know, that mixture of light and darkness, whatever that is specifically. Over here, it's the water is over the ground, which is there in principle and potential, and you're separating it away from it. As a result, in my mind, that's why it doesn't say vayavdil. Anyway, what you do have, however, so in short, what are names in the domain of God and the activity of God? It's the separation. What is separation? That constitutes that's what why do we have separation? An important point, which I know we're familiar with. If we didn't have separation, we could not be creative. You can't make connections. You can't affect Yidi'ah without that separation. Ramban Nachmani in his commentary to the Torah beat me to this realization in like four places. We'll read a few of them. We'll read three of them. In source number four, Bereshit Perek Bet Pasukaf, that's when Adam is giving names. Ha'inyan, says Ramban, Ki HaKadosh Baruch Hu kol chayot asadeh v'chol of ha'shavay v'fnei ha'adam, v'hu yikir tiv'am v'karalayim shemot. God, kivyachol, brought all the animals in front of Adam. He noticed their teva, their nature, and in turn he gave them an appropriate name. Kilomar, Hashem harauy lahem kefi tiv'ehem, the appropriate name based on their nature. Ubishemot, I have a few typos over here. Nitba'er harauy lihiot With the names, Adam was able to determine this species is appropriate with that one, and so forth. Ironically, ironically, what Ramban is describing over here is exactly the story of creation. I've separated these and said they're appropriate for one another. For what purpose? Why do I need them to be separate? Now you have Leminan. Now they could procreate. Now they could bring forth others. And I've separated those. That's their Ezer. And in turn, the conclusion of that whole thing is Adam doesn't find Ezer Kenegdo. What does that have to do with his naming? It has everything to do with his naming. The naming is a separation and a separation and a separation. The purpose of finding your mate. The ironic reality, again, of a world which begins necessarily with separation, but ultimately, the separation is purposed to come together. The yidiyah, the understanding, the creativity, the continuity. That's what's taking place over here. What do you have in the next Ramban? Vayikrai Elohim laor yom. This is the first kiriyah of God. In Pasuke Hanachon, says Ramban, after the ellipsis. 
שעניין קריאה באלו בכאן היא ההבדלה המוגבלת בהם כשלבשו סורתם. What's the naming? It's when they quote-unquote got their clothing, meaning they became a separate entity. That's the name. Ramban will say it throughout. He says it again in the context of our, third, our second havdala, and that is the naming of Rakia, says Ramban, Pasuk Het Kira'am Beshem Hazeh Ka'asher, Hilbish Otam Surat Rakia. When did they get the name? When they got their levush, when they got their clothing, when they got their this worldly quality, which is separate, distinct, existent in its form. Ki Barishon, initially, Hayushamayim Babiriyah. Initially, Bereshit bara Elohim et HaShamayim ta'aretz, there is Shamayim, aval in HaShem nitpas bahem, you can't call it Shamayim, although you need to use some word at the beginning, you're not going to call it real, full-fledged Rakia Shamayim, ad shelav surah hazol. So it'll be in the womb of the mother. It's not yet a baby. It's the potential for a baby. That's the Shamayim at the beginning. What's Rakia? What's the naming of it afterwards? That's as we know it. That's in its separate form. Well, if you've kept, if you've kept track thus far, what we've established is the following. We noticed in the initial Midrash that naming is something that's unique to humanity. We took a step back and realized that in the Torah. That is, so to speak, what we have over the angels. What does it mean in the Torah when God gives names? It's his ability to distinguish and to determine the separateness. Well, that all being the case, I want to now circle back to the initial Midrash, and I want to focus on the angels. That's, that's the direction now. So we've established God and human capability. Why are angels any different? And keep in mind, that was the words of the Hachamim. The angels realize, or God proves to them, you guys aren't as wise as the human beings because you guys can't name. Why can't angels name? Angels can't establish separateness, can't determine uniqueness, can't make those havdalah with the names. Well, take a look at this midrash. We will conceptualize it after the midrashim. Source number seven, the midrash in Masechet Derech Eretz Zuta. You may have heard it from elsewhere. This is the source I found. I've certainly heard this. It's got, I'm, I'm wondering if it's in Talmud somewhere. But the statement is, this is the best I could find for now, Derech Eretz Zuta. It's a traditional source. I think there's a Gemara that Malachim don't have... They don't have an entity, a reality of separation. It's one of the Masechtot Ketanot, which were composed later than what we have in Talmud. In other words, it's not really from the Mishnah time period. Composed later, but it's part of our corpus. It's, you know, it's a collection of Midrashim. They can't be creative. They just have a purpose. As a result, the expression of the Hachamim is they have no Mahloket. They have no Mahloket. They have full-fledged Shalom. Where is the full-fledged Shalom in existence? Ose Shalom, says the Midrash. Bimromav. The heavenly sphere has Shalom. Has no Mahloket. Where is their Mahloket? Where is their disparity and separation? Only in this world do you follow the direction again. So to speak, and I'll, 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 I'll bring this home, angels live in a domain, in a realm which precedes creation. They live in a tohu vavohu realm. They live in an eretz v'sham, shamayim va'aretz, bereshim ba'arayim atashmayim v'ta'aretz, prior to separation. In fact, if you envision the way we're, we're trained to think about malachim, it's these angelic beings who preside or who live within a domain of godliness, up above. 
Not in a worldly existence. Not in a world where there is separation. Now they are as a result confined. They're constrained. Because the only way we, and dare I say it by the Torah's descriptions, God could be creative is through separations. That's what we said. Prior to there is God. There is existence, but that's not Beriah. That's not creativity. It's his potential. The best, and it's not great, the best example I have for it is a favorite, and I've made said it on several occasions. It goes as follows. If you're looking to a further, if you're looking for the spark of inspiration for setting you forward, and more than spark of inspiration, you're looking for direction in whatever endeavor you have, and you're a, I was gonna say 21st century, but you guys made clear to me before the class, this is 21st century, it's well beyond what I'm about to describe. You're a late 20th century person, young man or woman, and you wanna research it. So what you would do is you'd go onto the internet and you'd just do your basic research. Now, in the initial stages of the internet, there was this thing called a browser. There's still a thing called a browser, but nobody uses it as a browser. If I'm not mistaken, this is how I remember browsers at their very inception. I think we're all old enough for this stage. I'm, I'm sure the younger crowd won't, won't even know what I'm referring to. But at the very, I remember the World Series in 1995. And I remember in all the commercials, this was a brand new thing. I think it was 1995 at the time. It was HTTP colon forward slash forward slash www. And that's how they were saying it in all them. Remember, there's this clip now about, the, about these uh, Good Morning America trying to figure out what that uh, A... Uh, with the squiggly line around it was. And it was this is the early stages of the internet, at least as we know it. And there was this thing called the browser, and every commercial and every advertisement had a website. That was the thing. Why did they have a website? How come today, I could be wrong, but you look at an advertisement on, on a bus stop, there's, I don't mention the website. Why not? Shouldn't we have websites all over the place? It's funny because the page in front of you has the website at the bottom. But generally speaking, you don't put a website. You don't put a website. Why not? It's assumed for some reason, maybe it's in small at the bottom of the email. But why isn't it at the top? The answer is because we have something called Google today. Once upon a time before Google, before Yahoo, before Ask Jeeves, I don't know, whatever all those search engines were, the way to find websites was on a browser. So you had an initial website, and then you went to that website, you clicked on their links, and you found your way through these hyperlinks to another website, which in turn led you to another website, and so forth. There was no such thing as a pointed search for what I was seeking, right? Now, in the initial... I could be wrong over here, but this is my reading of it. This is my understanding of it. Philosophy of the internet. I'm sorry to philosophize about this. It went like this. This is an engaging experience which doesn't just yield results, but opens your mind and your spectrum to seeing things that you never would have imagined. Because I went to one website believing I knew what I was finding over there and then just got exposed to so many others unexpectedly. In a search engine era, you've lost that. Not entirely, but generally speaking, you've lost that because you type in exactly what you're looking for and that's what you receive. And there's no reason to send hyperlinks to another website otherwise because you'll just type that in if you're interested in that. Why do I mention that in our context? Well, it goes like this. A search engine era, in my mind, is similar to an angelic realm. Why do I say so? That is everything operating as it should 
good, but without any movement to the right or to the left. I'm building, certainly, up and down. I have a lot of information, and I'm directed to all the appropriate sites, and I'm, I'm dominating this realm above, but I'm not able to see the disparate, different visions over here. An angelic vision is one of, it's all godliness. Everything that human beings see is a facade. How could you give a name to that chair? That chair is the presence of God, and so is this table, and so are all these human beings in this room. After all, if the world is fortified and fueled by God, if he's the source of existence, it means that everything is God. If it's all divine, um, how are we giving names to it? That's an angelic way of being. That's in mahloket. That's a reality wherein there's no piruda. There's no separation. If there's no separation, there's a general lack of understanding or depth of understanding because until you break it down into smaller pieces, although it's a little misleading because we have this way of losing track of God in this world once we separate things and understand them individually. The same way if I walked into your business and I met each individual person, I might not get the whole picture of what's going on. The whole picture of what's going on is the God-like experience. That's all the angels say. What I might see, if I'm wrongfully looking at it, is just the specific details. The challenge of humanity is to be able to piece together those details, to take the browser and we'll go from one side to the next side to the next side, and then be able to piece it all together and say how this all fits into some larger picture, which in our context is the picture of God. Are we following the description over here? So again, the description then of humanity empowered with the ability to see things as different. Ironically, although those separate things are somewhat of a facade, ultimately speaking, hard to understand what I'm about to say. Again, it's all God, it's all one, but we're able to break it down. I'm able to see the internet as something which is powering a general mission, but has these separate segments to it. That's what human beings have. In an angelic realm, in an angel way of, 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 of thinking, there's no way of breaking it down. It's all one, and as a result, there's no separate names. It's interesting because the progression of the internet is the proof of the rabbi's point. It needed the pieces to get back to the whole of, of Google. It needed the pieces of the browser to get back to the whole of Google. I hold that Google, though, is the destruction of the internet. Yeah, <laughs> In other words, because like, you are right. Yes, and, correct, and correct. Correct, but then, it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. That's the direction you're going to go in. I'm going to build, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have hopefully a general picture of how this is going to work. Then I'm going to build, put it into the business before the internet, and then I'm going to build the separate pieces. And then if it actually comes together and congeals, well, now I made a single entity. That's what happens with Google. Once you hit that single entity, the challenge then, the challenge then is keeping the vibrancy, keeping it dynamic. That's the human side of it. That's right. So that's what I think is taking place here, and that in turn brings us back to the initial midrash. The human beings, the chokhmatam, is mirumbam says God to the angels. They can separate. Separation, but that's fake. 
That's wrong. We're not separate entities. Yeah, but they're able to first break it down and then piece it back together if they do it appropriately. For example, in terms of creation of being brought forth in this state of separation, it's what we, of course, have on day two. Day two is the greatest separation between upper and, upper and lower. And that's, that's where you see it. God separates in the eyes of the hachamim, certainly, but in the simple interpretation of the text. There's the upper waters and there's the lower waters. That is a separation, quote-unquote, between the divine realm where God resides and the lower realm. But come on, are you saying that this can be separate from God? No, but the text is telling me there is a separation. It means I live as if there's a separation and I seek some sort of vision in which it comes together. It's the description of the Hachamim, one of the several. Why does it not say Kitob on the second day of creation? Because that's the birth of Mahloket. It's the day in which Mahloket comes about. Is Mahloket tragic? No, Mahloket is the potential with which we can then understand. Without Mahloket, you're staring at, you're trying to understand this potential which is all just thrown in front of you, maybe even as a very small particle, known as Tohu Vavohu, this energy particle and capability, but I have no idea what that is. That's an angelic way of seeing things. I'm stuck. I know it's all there, but I have no idea what it is. I know it's, go ahead. I'm not sure you're right about that. It's tob, again, it's, it's what we talked about last night. It's tob for its purpose. The purpose of each day is to bring separation, which is the only way existence could come to true shalemut. So that's the tob of each day. Yes, and the only way to actually come to Shlemut is, ironically, through that separation, which leads me to it, which means angel... So if the second day is the birth of the separation, that should be totally Yes, however... However, Mahloket, of course, separation, Alma de Peruda, has these very tricky parts to it. So you're right, in the scheme of things to say, since we live in a separate world, so it therefore is fantastic, couldn't get better than that. Alternatively, life would be a lot more simple and less misleading had we lived in an angelic world without Mahloket. Mahloket is the birth of human potential. Of course, and I think that's what they're... If you want to keep the same logic, if everything else is told, bringing you back to Shalom, and if that's the ultimate... Yes, but so to speak, I'm hinting to you, with the initial stage, there's a danger here. It's, it's something along those lines. It's not that it wasn't told, it's that there's a danger here, right? And, all right, well, that being the case, I'll just, you know, just uh, fleshing out the angels for just one more moment, and this I have to give props to opening my eyes to this initially, not in this context, to Rabbi David Eliach, I love Hashalom. More than once, his eyes lit up as he talked to me about the following concept. I don't know why he talked to me about it several times. I don't know if he had a punchline to it other than this is what intrigued him when he thought mystically. He said, when were the angels created? To which I was I don't know. So he said, did you ever read the Ramban and the first Pasuk to the Torah? And he'd open a Chumash and read it together with me. I don't remember if he had a further direction on this other than that. Now, that being the case, it came to mind as I was thinking about this concept. Because if you do your research on this, the Hachamim and Midrash Rabbah and Bereshit Rabbah have two visions. Either second day or fifth day. What's the significance of second and fifth day? Second day is upper realm. Fifth day is 
moon and, and, and sun and stars, make sense each of those days. Says Ramban Nachmani in his commentary to the Torah, that's all just to keep you not getting confused. Because if you actually understood the secret, the, the layman, the masses would get very thrown off. You want to know when angels came into being? Prior to creation, of course. He says the word Bereshit, which is Chokhmah, is a reference already to creation of angels. In truth, Ramban is, is, is echoed by some statement in Ibn Ezra and Zor Hadash has this statement as well. Zor has this statement as well. Almost identical. It's possible Ramban had a little access to Zor. It's possible he was inspired from a similar text and that is that the Torah could not and would not mislead humanity by stating it overtly that angels preceded existence the same way I may add that Tohu Vavo is never explicitly stated. 99% of the people who open the Torah don't understand this concept which Ramban brings forth that prior to six days of creation there was Tohu Vavo which was created by God to understand the creation of potential is very difficult we understand the world as we live in it to understand the world in which there's a, a oneness is practically impossible for humanity so we just glide over it and kind of hint it in the text yes no, no it's at once with ex nihilo no, at once. It's all at once. No, it doesn't precede it. I mean, I, I, it's a question of what, what you're defining as that initial stage, but it's with it. It means that God precedes all. Again, it's hard to talk about time before the existence of time. But when the creation of matter, the oneness of existence, the Google, if you will, comes about, that's when angels come about as well. Of course they do. That's where they get stuck. That's where we envision angels. Angels can't live and reside in a world of separation. Angels can't live in Aretz dimension and be able to envision some sort of oneness within a separateness. Angels can't give names. Angels live prior to names. They live in a time of Shamaim Va'aret before they have names, of Tohu Vavohu before there is any separation. That's angelic domain. It had to be that way, and it has to be envisioned in that fashion. That's the vision of angels. That's in contrast to both human beings and God himself. God, the creator with a capital C, brings forth creation through separation. He brings forth certainly for us, but to be able to actualize potential means to separate it. Again, you want somewhat of a practical description to what I'm, to what I'm mentioning and less philosophical is to envision, this is the way I always envision it, is to envision uh, Am Yisrael, to envision the world, but let's do it as Am Yisrael specifically. To envision Am Yisrael specifically, so we want to envision ourselves as something that is fully and completely in our most ideal state, congealed and as one. We think about that moment, as the rabbis described to us, you couldn't get better than that. Does each person have a name in that moment? Hard to see a name, it's just oneness. Everything is one. They are one. And yet, to be able to appreciate what that oneness is, we have to then meet each individual and understand how they contribute to that oneness, who they are. So that's the vision over here with regards to this message. It's the vision in life. You can get lost in one of two domains, losing the 
oneness or the or putting those two domains together. You can get lost in the details, in the nitty gritties of anything you're involved in, the specifics of where the people are working and what they're specifically doing on a day-to-day -day basis, your, your employees, and losing the vision of what you want them to be coming together to do. I can talk about it from the educational end. I'm not a business person, so I don't actually know what I'm doing when I give you those examples. I can be, as an administrator, let's say, I can be a person who wants to make certain that every classroom they're teaching their their material and they're covering their syllabus, uh, the, the, what they, what they, their stated objective. That's fantastic, but you're missing the point. That's, that's just seeing peruda, that's just seeing separation. I then at the same time need to say, guys, you understand what we're doing here? You understand what we're building? We're building something greater than just what's going on in your classroom. Oh, so let me just close the books in my classroom and just talk about our stated objectives, the larger goals, the broader vision of what it is to be a member of this school, to be a student or teacher in this school. You can't do that either. Because if you do that, you're in that world of potential. It's, it's hard, to, hard to conceptualize, hard to understand. There's nothing actual that's being fed to the people. You can think about it in your family as well. You can focus on and should focus on every single one of your children and on your spouse and on yourself individually and understand how each one of you are unique in and of yourselves and bring something unique. But there needs to be the larger picture as well. If you lose one and not the, and, and as opposed to the other, you are losing a primary and important fundamental of what it means to be a part of existence. That's the angelic realm. The angelic realm sees it only as one, and they're not missing the point. They're just seeing it in the larger macro sense. The micro sense, however, is what gives it its form. And if you're missing that, then you're not actually getting it. And to be able to envision potential without the specifics is missing the actual existence of what it means to be a member of this world, to be a productive creator in this world. To bring it full circle and to end with that second midrash I mentioned at the beginning, it's a midrash I've discussed, and I'll remind you our discussion, our description, you'll see how much it matches the description of angels in this, in this lens. It's the Midrash in Masechet Shabbat and Daf Pechet, going into Daf Petet, where the angels make this claim to God as we're about to receive the Torah. Why are you giving the Torah to human beings? Give it to us instead. And we paused and we asked, and I've noticed afterwards. I was preceded by many in this question and answer. What sort of claim is that? How can angels be asking for a Torah? A Torah, by definition, is for human beings. The responses of Moshe are so simple. It's just a silly story. What do I mean by that? Not because I'm taking the story literally. I mean it for the following reason. If Aesop were to come in here and to describe to you any fables of his, you should ask him internal questions. It's true, he'll say to you, I'm just trying to get him across a message. All right, but in telling me that message, every detail in your story needs to make sense. I need to understand how one thing led to the next. So when I ask a question like that on Midrash, that's a methodological point, the details have to ma match. You can't, in my opinion, just say, oh, but it was just there to teach a message. But the message has to have details that match up and lead me to a final point with each of the details having their particular meaning and aspect. Well, what's the meaning over here? What sort of claim is that? Instead of telling me this story, just tell me that the reason human beings got the Torah is because the Torah is for human beings. Chalas, what's with this conversation? What we suggested is along the lines of Ramban's introduction to the Torah where he says the Torah is from the Beta Bereshit to the Lamed of Israel, the names of God. What does that mean? 
It means if you were to just read it as one long strand and string of letters, you are reading godliness. You are reading divinity, but it's meaningless. It's meaningless to me and you. Guess who it would be meaningful for? The same beings who were there from Tohu Vavohu. The same beings who can't see separateness. The same beings, the angels who don't have Mahlokit. So for them, their claim is, give us the Torah. The Torah doesn't make it. No, the Torah of human beings doesn't make any sense to you. The Torah of division doesn't make sense to you. The Torah, which exists, coexists in that unified fashion, that could be appropriate for you, says God. Let Moshe prove it. Moshe turns and says, our actualization of this Torah, our ability to break down the words in these texts, our ability to act the words in these texts, and you guys can't do that. You wanna know why you can't do that? Because for you, there are no actions prescribed over here. There are no names, there are no letters, there are no words. It's all just is, it's all just potential. Of course we should have the Torah. It's the same description as the creation of Adam, bringing them in front, bringing them in front of angels. In both of these stories, God is kivyachol, proving the same point. The rabbis are teaching the same message, and that is the advantage of humanity, of human beings over angels. The advantage of a world which was purposefully built with separation. We have bodies. We're not just energy. We have, we, have, we, we have separate domains and separate existences. The advantage of that is the advantage over angels, which means you can be a creator within such a domain. You can actualize. It's not that you'll arrive at the same Google conclusion of the angels. You'll be struggling and striving to get there. But the connections you'll make along the line will have a depth, will have an understanding will have the unique quality which one who is born into just a potential realm, into a realm of that unity, is, is completely missing. The giving names in the Torah of Adam, in my mind then, is very significant. By Adam playing the role of God and giving the names, what the Hachamim are noticing and realizing in that is the description of what it means to be a human being. To mimic God by giving names means to become a creator, not just because it's a game over here, you give names, I give names, nothing, something deeper than that. It's the ability to separate. Separating is something that's significant? Absolutely. If you don't have that separation, if you are that angelic individual, if you live in just the macro vision, well, then you're missing the potential to truly create, to truly make those connections, to understand them with the depth of perception that humanity has to actualize it in a way that potential, that absolute unity could never. Baruch Adonai Amen